Do you feel stuck in your life? Do you wish you could switch directions? Today, Katie Evans joins us to talk about the things she did to turn her life around. Welcome to Adulting, the podcast where we want to adult every day. Download episodes at adulting.tv. Welcome to Adulting. I'm Harlan Landis, and I'm here with Miranda Marquette, as usual. How are you, Miranda? Hi, Harlan. Uh, how are you doing today? Fantastic. And our guest today is Katie Evans. Katie, why don't you tell us about yourself and where you are online? My name's Katie. I have an accent because I'm I'm British, um, but I now live in Colorado. And some background into me is I have kind of nine years experience working in kind of media and advertising in that very corporate world, but have had a big kind of career shift. And for the past two years, I've been working as a a life and career coach for young women. Fantastic. So as a career coach, what are some of the things that you're seeing clients coming to you with, with questions about? And what, what are some of the biggest issues that you have to handle? Sure. So I think the, the three biggest challenges, I guess, that I see people coming to me for help with is the first one of being unhappy at work and that normally drills down to feeling kind of unfulfilled working in a career that perhaps you're not passionate about you don't really believe in a career that you feel like doesn't use your your best talents I think so that's definitely the first area people just being um, kind of unhappy why do you think that people's career choice impacts their happiness so much Something that kind of uh, I I wonder about because we talk a lot about um, millennials and other people feeling uh, disconnected from their jobs. So why do you think that the and previous generations are just like suck it up? We all had jobs we hate, but mm-hmm. uh, but uh, why do you think it matters so much that we like our jobs or, or that we feel like our jobs provide meaning? Sure. Well, I guess I think it really comes down to having a a clear kind of synergy between what you really value as a person and whether your work and career also aligns with those same values. So everybody's values are obviously completely different. Some people may really value kind of adventure and spontaneity and creativity. Um, Other people may really value like security and trust Um, for some people it's much more financial everybody um, has a different perspective from their um, kind of upbringing I guess and their their just natural mindset but it's so important if you're to feel like fulfilled in what you do that what you're working towards and what you're doing on a daily basis lines up with those with those values so most people that are kind of unhappy it's because there's a real disconnect there and they're having to try and kind of struggle with that on a day-to-day basis were you unhappy when you were working in your corporate job (laughs) absolutely i um 
I think I made two big mistakes. The first one being I never really did any of the preliminary work in terms of identifying what I really wanted um, to do with my life and what the values that I hold really dear um, to me are. And I just fell into working in media and advertising. I feel like a lot of people, I finished university, did well, had no idea what I wanted to do beyond that and just kind of took the first opportunity that came my way without doing some real kind of hard thinking beforehand. And then I think the second mistake I made that led to me feeling kind of increasingly unhappy was not really learning some better techniques so that I was able to kind of work more effectively and have a bit of a better work-life balance. I kind of mistook long hours <laughs> into equaling kind of success. Um, but obviously when that eats up into all of your kind of free time and personal time to do the things that make you happy, that's really detrimental both to your work and your personal life. So it sounds like for you, there was a time where you thought that success meant working long hours, putting in the FaceTime, and 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 just working really hard for whatever whatever your corporate um, you know assignments were. Uh, you know, w why is that what we see as success? And and is there some other way we should figure out what success is for us individually? I think it really comes back to those values again. So if you're really clear about what it is that you're kind of striving for, you can make sure that the work that you're kind of prioritizing and focusing on is aligning with those for you, what was that process of, of kind of changing what you thought uh, was success? Because you, you mentioned that you originally saw success as putting in lots of hours. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm busy. Look at how busy I am. Uh, how do you go about changing your definition of success and finding a new definition? The best way to kind of frame this is to perhaps not think about necessarily kind of success, because I think that's where people tend to straight away think about that in the more traditional terms in, in terms of financial rewards. But if you instead think about what is the work that's most valuable for you? So if you think about what you want to achieve in one month or, or three months or six months, what is that work that's going to make you feel most fulfilled? So is it work that's going to really boost your kind of recognition in your workplace or is it work that is going to be able to help others um, you know it's going to be different for everybody but the first step is really identifying what is the most high value work for you and then making sure that I think everybody falls into this same trap where you you have a big long to-do list and everybody does this you know you come into work on a Monday and you look at your to-do list and you start just trying to tick things off and the best way to kind of really reframe how you approach your career um, so that you can feel more fulfilled and, and be more successful ultimately is to start with a completely different way of approaching that to-do list 
And you want to be thinking, what is the number one most important thing for me that I could do this month? And you'd you'd be really, really clear about that focus. And then once you've identified what that number one thing is, you can also think about a number two and a number three. But it's all about no longer thinking about what's the most urgent, what are like all of these tasks I have to achieve, and instead thinking about what is the one piece of work that's going to be most valuable for me and make me feel kind of most proud of achieving. And then that can then form your new kind of to-do list, a new priority list, and your new like focus. Now, how did you make that first move when you changed your life focus? I kind of reached, I guess what you'd call like a rock bottom in a sense. So I was kind of successful in the traditional terms. You know, I'd um, been promoted a, a series of times and was a senior account director in advertising. But, I mean, I mentioned it, I had no work-life balance, I was incredibly stressed, and a lot of my unhappiness came from the fact that I didn't really believe in what I was doing. I never had a burning passion to work in advertising, and it never really lined up with my values and what I think is important. All of that led to me just... Every day I would come home and I mean, sometimes I'd even cry because I just felt so unhappy and I felt really lost about how to kind of turn things around. Um, And what changed things for me was finding a mentor. Um, So it was somebody who worked in a similar industry, but a different company. And just having somebody um, to make you kind of rethink some of your habits and some of your ways of thinking and just help you kind of work through some of those challenges and identify what it is that you do enjoy. So working through this with this mentor, I realized that actually the part of the job and my career that I enjoyed the most was working with and building a team. So being a mentor myself, um, having to nurture you know, a team of sometimes it was many as 12 or 15 people and have to and helping those people kind of be their best. So working with my mentor, like helped me realize that that was the aspects of my job that I really, really enjoyed. And she helped me give the confidence, find the confidence to kind of pursue that um, as a new as a new career. Um, so since kind of making that shift to focusing like full time on mentoring and coaching, you know, it aligns with my personal values, um, in terms of wanting to do work that does benefit others, that does help others and that, you know, has, has a legacy. Um, and it's using the kind of talents that I have, um, in a much more positive way. So that was the real turning point for me. It was having a mentor that allowed me to, or enabled me to just kind of take a step back um, and rethink all of the uh, behaviors that I was just kind of doing on a, on a daily basis. How did you select that mentor and set up the relationship? It was um, very informal for me, it was somebody that I that I met and had a, a brief kind of conversation with. Um, 
just at a, a kind of networking event and we just kind of clicked and we just started talking, um, just getting, getting to know each other over email and then I kind of reached out one day and I just asked if we could spend you know, some more time together you know, over, over coffee and it just grew, it just grew from there. And I know it's very common kind of advice to, to find a mentor, but I think it's so, so important that it's someone that you have a, a kind of connection, a connection with. So if it's, if there's somebody who's already in your, in your life or someone that you've already met, those are, that you you know you felt a connection with those are the best people to to reach out to. Another question I had is: as you were making this transition, uh, did you do it kind of as a side gig first of all, uh, or did you just quit your job and like jump into it wholeheartedly? How how did you, uh, in practical terms, how did you make that shift from working in your corporate job to uh, then doing the coaching? Sure. So I did it as a, a side gig. Um, to begin with, I think I would always advise anybody who's listening, if you're thinking of making that change, you first want to just test it out. Um, I know it can be, it can feel liberating to kind of quit one thing and move heartedly into something new, but it's always best to just test, test things first. So I did it as a side gig. I continued doing my like nine to five while studying um, in the evenings and at weekends. So once I kind of finished my studies, I started working with my first clients. And then it's once I kind of had was able to validate that number one, you know, I did really enjoy it um, and it was going to be the right thing to make the shift. Um, and then number two, that it was a viable business, you know, that I was um, offering something that people um, found value in and you know, wanted, to, wanted to collaborate with me on. So once I'd kind of proved to myself that, yeah, this is the right decision, then I, you know, kind of got the, the confidence to, um, yeah, to quit and to focus on this full time. Is there anything that people can do in their current jobs or careers or situations to increase their level of happiness or reduce their dissatisfaction without having to make a, you know, make a change? Uh, you know, I, I, the, the, the importance of finding your value and finding, finding what what you really want to do to be happy is, of course, you know, key to long-term, you know, satisfaction. But what can you do within a position if you're not quite in, if you're not quite ready to test something or to move in a new direction? Sure. So I think one of the the biggest misconceptions, I guess, is that people feel like their their roles are fixed they kind of feel like especially when you're applying for a job you know there's a job specification you've you've got the job and therefore what's required of you is kind of permanent and set by line managers or kind of senior um, senior staff and I think that means that people don't always realize the opportunity they have to kind of carve out their own 
um, role and kind of tailor it to how it fits them best. So I think the first thing is just realizing that actually you you do have a lot more influence than you may think to be able to kind of shift up your your role. So I think the 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 first thing in terms of practical terms you can do is start keeping like a work journal because often when the first questions you know I ask people are what, why are you unhappy? You know, what, why? Tell me about times in your day when actually you're quite enjoying what you're doing and time's flying. People sometimes really struggle to actually think about the specifics. So if you can keep a work journal, and this doesn't need to be any, anything particularly time consuming, just start keeping a, a note, um, either like on a notebook on your desktop or, um, you know, you can just keep notes in your phone but just note down every time during the day where actually it's kind of called being in flow but when time is going really quickly you're not even noticing the time and you're fully like engaged and just note down what it was that you were doing um, and then conversely note down any times where you're either really stressed um, you're completely disengaged you're kind of watching that clock tick um, or you're just generally um, really not enjoying the task that you're working on so you want to be kind of be keeping this little journal for a few a few weeks and then you can look back on it at the end of each week and you want to start looking for what some of the themes are so you may notice there's real common themes in the kind of work that you're enjoying. Maybe it's to do with the actual kind of work itself. Maybe it's to do with the environment that you're in. Um, maybe it's to do with the people that you're, that you're working with. But just start to kind of notice what some of those themes are for the work that you're enjoying and the work that you're not enjoying. Because it's only once you've got that kind of information that you kind of get a, a clearer sense of how you could adapt things so that you get to spend more time on what you're enjoying and less time on what you're not enjoying. Um, so obviously everybody has elements of their job that they don't like. That's just a given. But if you notice that actually you are really, really engrossed and kind of enjoying and excited about working with a certain project or maybe it's working with a certain co-worker that's when you can start thinking about what are some of the ways that you could spend more time doing that so you may want to speak to line managers about the opportunity to spend more time working on that. You may want to suggest off your own initiative um, a kind of internal project that you'd love to spearhead that would enable you to do more of that. It's going to be different for every person and every work culture. But just really shifting that mindset to understanding that you really can evolve and adapt your, your role you brought up work culture, and I, is there any difference that you've observed versus work culture, especially as it um, pertains to success and happiness in the UK versus here in the United States? So I think the biggest difference I've observed um, since moving here is the priority that the American work culture gives to ours. You know, time spent in the office, um, time being available, um, and just that whole culture of 
an email, you know, should always kind of be responded to very quickly. Um, and I think obviously there's great benefits to that as a society. You know, America's a very affluent country, but I think some of that does have repercussions in terms of it's become so accepted that you're to be in the office, you know, for a very, very significant amount of the time from kind of eight till six in some places. But actually time spent in the office doesn't always equal productivity. So there are other countries, you know, you can look to where they spend less time in the office, but their productivity is just as high. And I think it all comes down to that fact of being really um, focused about what it is that you're working on and being most efficient when you are in the office, but but then knowing that once you've kind of clocked off at at three or four, um, you've achieved everything you need to so that you can fully then switch into a kind of personal mode and personal mindset. Yeah, and I think that's an interesting point you make about kind of our obsession with, you know, working more hours, time in the office. And, and I think our obsession with work in the US to a certain degree can be damaging uh, people in the US you know, take almost, uh, they've done studies, Uh, most workers who have paid vacation don't take their paid vacation or don't take the full amount of their paid vacation that they're entitled to. It makes us kind of a stressed society where we, you know, are always doing this. But as you said, uh, there is research that indicates um, working eight hours a day doesn't necessarily mean you're being productive or the work you're producing is of a high quality. Yeah, exactly that. And, and some of these, you know, these, this mindset also, I think, prevents uh, American companies from making changes to policy that would actually benefit them and increase uh, their productivity. And it's, you know, better leave policies and, and everything that could actually improve employee happiness and wellness. And that would in turn improve productivity and profitability in some cases. Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest bit of advice I always give to people which sounds so simple is to take back the lunch hour and I would love to like start a really big campaign around taking back the lunch hour because again people when you feel like you're so busy you feel like it's complete waste to step away from your from your desk and your laptop for an hour to kind of recharge you feel like that time is going to be better spent eating a sandwich over your laptop while still replying to emails. But actually, there is so much research that shows that you'll be much, much more productive in the afternoon if you allow yourself to have a proper rest midday. I think anyone who's ever got that 3 p.m. or like 4 p.m. complete slump (laughs) um, can testify to the fact that just working throughout lunch and expecting your energy to stay as high all the way through until, you know, 5 p.m. just doesn't work. So although it seems like you're kind of wasting time, actually taking 30 minutes to step away from your desk, stop looking at a screen. Um, If you can walk or like get outside and get some fresh air, even better. And then when you come back in the afternoon, you'll have much more energy and be able to kind of be much more productive in the afternoon. 
So I, I think this is something that lots of people would love to do. They're fighting against this, this, the, the corporate microculture in, in their, in their team or, or something set, set off by their supervisor where there's an expectation of working through lunch or mm-hmm. you're invited by your supervisor to, to, to do a working lunch where the team meets over lunch and they discuss work and they try to get things done. How do you fight against the, the immediate surroundings that you're in, in order to make yourself happier and healthier in your job? Sure. Well, I think the, the first way you should try and approach it is to try and make it more of a team effort. So you mentioned about if, um, a senior member of staff has set up a kind of working lunch. I mean, that that can be great. That can be a break as long as you're not looking at a screen. If it's just interacting with colleagues, talking about what's going well, what's going less well, you know, projects that you're excited about, that is a break. Um, so I would, first of all, try and approach it that way. Maybe you could decide that one lunchtime a week is a team lunch you know, everyone can bring their own their own lunch, it doesn't have to be provided, but then it can still be framed as something that's um, kind of beneficial for the company, but it's trying to shift up that culture so that everybody is taking taking a break. If that's just completely not possible, then maybe you can think about how can you still try and build in like a 10 minute break into your day. Um, if, if you just don't feel comfortable at all stepping away for 30 minutes because it's just not accepted um, at your company, I'm sure you could still find some time to take 10 minutes. So it's just what you do with that 10 minutes. Just make sure that, or you try and avoid that, that trap of just taking a break and going on Facebook because although you're not working still looking at a screen is not going to give your brain um the proper kind of rest and um refreshment that it needs so instead for those 10 minutes just try and walk around the block if you can even walk around the office if there's nowhere suitable to walk to walk outside but just kind of get moving for for 10 minutes and then come back to your desk and it's only by starting small, by starting with like five, 10 minutes and seeing how that works out that you'll be able to see how you could perhaps extend that or help bring other kind of coworkers into the same, the same mindset. So I would just try and first of all, see if there's a way that you can make it a kind of team effort. And if that's not possible, then start off seeing how you could just start building in more breaks in a, in small steps. I really love this idea of taking back the lunch hour. I think, uh, I think that should be a movement just like you said. <laughs> I, I work from home and I still need to take back my lunch hour. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think also there's, um, there's like a, another aspect to that benefit as well. Um, not if you work from home, but if you work in an office, when everybody is eating their lunch over their desks, there's less opportunity for you to meet and, in, and spend time with other kind of co-workers um, and especially more senior members of staff. So if you 
kind of shift up your behavior to maybe it's only one day a week, but you eat lunch in a kind of communal area, or you just take a break with a cup of coffee, but you stand, if there's like a kitchen area, you stand somewhere where other um, colleagues are going to be. This break is then also a really, really great time for you to just try and raise your profile with you know, other, other people that you work with, strike up conversations. Um, perhaps there's, you'll learn about projects that you didn't know were happening that you would love to kind of work on. So I think that's another way to look at it. Um, it's not only a break that's going to help your um, productivity. It's also time spent that could really help your, your kind of career progression. All right. That's, uh, that's great. Uh, can you tell our audience where they can find you? Sure. So I can be found on my website, which is pressingescape.com. And then from that website, I also have like a Facebook um, and an Instagram and a newsletter that you can sign up to. And I send out, you know, once or twice a month, just small little tips um, or outtakes from books that I'm reading um, that you can help use to incorporate into your um, into your work and career. Uh, fantastic. Thank you for joining us, Katie. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and join us next time for adulting.tv. You can subscribe at adulting.tv slash iTunes. Leave us a review if you enjoyed what you've heard. Read all of the uh, amazing articles that we have on our website, adulting.tv. Till next time, this is Harlan Miranda, and remember to act like a grown-up. Thank you for listening to Adulting. Find resources for this episode or download other episodes at adulting.tv.